You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. So we are continuing our study of the Gospel of John, and we reached the part in the book where this might be the most important section in the entire Gospel. It is where Jesus tells us openly, publicly, unashamedly, clearly who he is. And in that day, just like in ours, there was no lack of opinion as to who Jesus was. How many of you, you're talking to others about Jesus and you find this is true, that there are about as many opinions of Jesus as there are people that you talk to. What about in the world of religions? Well, the Baha'i will say that Jesus is a manifestation of God, but inferior to Muhammad and Baha'u'llah that he is not God, he did not rise from the dead, and he is not the only way to God. If you ask a Buddhist, they will say that Jesus is not God, he is not an enlightened man, he's much like the Buddha, just not chubby. If you ask the Christian scientist, which this, this gets me, there's nothing Christian about them and it's not based on science, who knew how they came up with their name? The founder, maker Mary Baker Eddy, said, Jesus was not the Christ. He is not God. He did not suffer and could not suffer for sins. He did not die on the cross. He was not resurrected physically, and he will not literally come back. Hinduism has many different views of who Jesus is, but that he's only a teacher. His death did not atone for sins. He did not rise from the dead. Islam says that Jesus was not God, was not the son of God. He was sinless and a worker of miracles, but he was not crucified. He did not resurrect. Insofar as the famous folks in the history of the world, John Lennon said, Christianity will go. It will vanish and shrink. I needn't argue With that, I'm right, and I will be proved right. We're more popular than Jesus now. I don't know which will go first, rock and roll or Christianity. Friedrich Nietzsche, a great atheist, said, Jesus died too soon. If he had lived to my age, he would have repudiated his doctrine. In other words, he's saying, if Jesus had only lived longer, he would have changed his mind. Fidel Castro said, I never saw a contradiction between my beliefs and who Jesus is. What he's saying is that Jesus is a great communist. What about the Jesus of the cults? Well, Jehovah Witnesses believe that Jesus is a created being, that he is actually the archangel Michael. The Mormons will say that Jesus is a half-brother of Lucifer who became one of many gods. According to Scientology founder L. Ron Hubbard, Christianity evolved from the R6 implant, which has to do with a thetan or immortal spirit. You might say, Pastor Paul, what does that mean? And I'd say, I don't know. I'm drug-free. I have no idea. I can't think in those categories. And then there are the progressive or liberal Christians who say that Jesus is a great social justice champion who drove a hybrid camel. So there are lots of opinions regarding who Jesus is. Everybody has an opinion. The 
question is, who did Jesus say that he is? Uh, That should be the one that we hear from most, right? That should be the most important, most significant person to hear from on this question. Who did Jesus say that he is? And that's where we find ourselves in John's gospel. But let me get you up to speed. At this point, Jesus' ministry has been going on for a little while. And there is this ongoing feud battle uh, between he and the religious leaders who are always at him, opposing him, attacking him. Jesus has gone from rural ministry to urban ministry. He has ministered to individuals to now large crowds. And this is where we find ourselves in John chapter 10, beginning at verse 22. Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter. And Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were there gathered around him saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. All right, so here's the context. He's in Jerusalem, which is the big city, holiest place on earth because it contained the temple, which is where people would gather from all over to be in the presence of God. And it's during a feast or a festival called the Festival of Dedication. Uh, Let me give you a little background to this because you won't find this event that dedicates that this festival is dedicated to, you won't find it in your Bible. A Syrian king who ruled at the time, this is 2nd century BC, so less than 200 years before Jesus walked the earth. His name, Antiochus IV. He called himself Antiochus Epiphanes, as if he thought he was God. His goal was to destroy Jerusalem and all of the Jewish people. He attacked the great city of Jerusalem and killed 80,000 Jews and took another 80,000 into slavery. He took money from the temple treasury, outlawed the Jewish faith, made it a crime to carry the Hebrew Bible, which is our Old Testament, or to circumcise a child. (laughs) A lot of opposition to God's people. Temple courts were turned into brothels. And then on the altar in the temple... It was used to worship Zeus, and pigs were sacrificed to the Greek gods. It was a low point in the history of God's people. But then along came a man named Judas Maccabees. He and his brothers, they were sons of a priest. They led a revolt, and they were victorious. And they were able to liberate the city of Jerusalem and cleanse the temple so that it could once again be used for the worship of the one true God. Well, to commemorate that victory in the second century BC, this festival was instituted. You may know it by a different name, Hanukkah, the festival of lights. That's where it came from. So this is what's taking place. This is what's happening. And the people had been oppressed. They couldn't worship God. But then they were liberated and they were delivered and now they can worship God. And here God shows up in Jesus and they don't worship him. You can have the freedom to worship God, but then don't act on that freedom and actually worship God. Instead, they're worshiping their traditions. 
They're worshiping their man-made rules and regulations. God shows up and they don't worship him. So this is the context behind this discussion. And as our story opens, they have a question that's perhaps the most important question in the history of the world. Jesus, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? Who are you? Had he already told them who he is? Repeatedly. This wasn't a secret. But he's going to be very plain about this in just a moment. Here's what their thought process, thought process was. If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. What they're hoping for is that Jesus recants of that declaration, that he's not God. Or that he reasserts that claim and they're listening. The crowd is surrounding them. They hear him declare that he is God. Now we can carry out the death sentence. Either way, the crowd's watching. They're ready to pick up rocks. They're ready to do their thing. What we see here is the poise of Jesus. He doesn't live in fear. He lives by faith. Are you the Christ? Christ means anointed one, chosen one, unique one, exclusive one. It's a title from the Old Testament where God was coming into human history to rule and to reign. And he would be superior to and unlike all others. As they were delivered by this Judas Maccabees for their festival, God would come and give an even greater deliverance, an eternal deliverance. So in verse 25, Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. Some of you know people like this. You, you go to them and you say, hey, man, I told them about Jesus, but they just don't believe. Jesus continues, the works that I do in my Father's name testify about me. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. The next verse, I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. That's life that begins the moment you meet Jesus and continues forever. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Here's a big statement. The Bible repeated emphasis is that there is one God. Every day, at least three times a day, they would echo something in the Old Testament called the Shema. It's in Hebrew. The first word, Shema, means hear or listen. It's Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is what they would repeat several times a day. One God, one God, one God. And Jesus says, I and the Father are one. It's a massive statement. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy. Because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Who did Jesus say he was? God. Why did they not believe Jesus? They weren't his sheep. 
He told us last week that he was the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And in that culture, a shepherd would live with the sheep. And so when they were out in pasture, the shepherd is right there with them. And when it was time for them to move to another area, the shepherd would literally call them by name and they would come to him. And you need to know that Jesus is the good shepherd. And if he calls you by name and you run to him, it proves that you're one of his sheep. And what Jesus says about these folks is that I called, you didn't come, therefore you are not one of my sheep. Jesus is saying that there are those who love him and those who don't. There are those who come to him and those who run away from him. You need to make your decision. Jesus loves you and you can come to him. These people are not one of his sheep. Are they moral people? Yeah. Are they spiritual people? Very spiritual. Are they religious people? Very religious people. So they are moral, spiritual, religious, but they're not trying to get to Jesus. A second thing to note, Jesus gives eternal life and he says that his people will never perish. Here's a question that oftentimes Christians have, and it kind of goes like this. I've met Jesus, I know Jesus, I love Jesus, but can I lose my salvation? You cannot lose your salvation. The question is not, can I lose my salvation? The question is, can God lose one of his children? What Jesus says is, no one can snatch them from my hand. Furthermore, he says, they're not just in my hand, they're in the Father's hand. And the Father and the Son, they don't lose their kids. They don't drop their kids. They don't let you go. What Jesus is saying to his opponents, to those who are against him, he's saying, you're not one of mine. You've not entered into a relationship with me. I've done all of these miracles that Isaiah 700 years before said would accompany God when he enters human history, that the blind will see, the lame will walk, the deaf will hear, the dead will rise. So you know when God shows up because things happen that no one else could ever do. Jesus says, here I am. Look at me. Look at what I do. I do all the things that were promised. So for how many of you, what brought you to faith in Jesus were his works? He showed up some way in your life. He healed you. He, he answered a prayer. He gave you some supernatural revelation. Something happened. God showed up to work in your life. And you're like, Jesus is real. Because I've seen what he does. In addition to his works are his words. So for how many of you, what brought you to faith in Jesus were his words. Here's what he said. He tells the truth and nobody says what Jesus says. He says, I and the Father are one. I need you to know that it is a very clear claim in their culture. They understood what Jesus was saying. We're 2,000 years removed. They were Hebrew, we're American, but they were immersed in this culture. And what he's telling them very clearly, very plainly is, I'm God. All right, so let's build the case for this. How many major religious leaders ever declared themselves to be God? Just Jesus. No one else. 
They'd say things like, I'm a prophet of God, I'm a servant of God, I'm a path to God. They don't say, I am God. That's a claim of Jesus without precedent, without equal in the history of the world. So if you're not a Christian, before you dismiss him, listen to him. You know, the best way to get to know someone is not to listen to all their critics, it's to know them, hear from them. And what Jesus is telling us is that he's God. I need you to know that every other religion or spirituality that you can choose does not have a founder who makes this claim. You can see the true or false, right? And where is Jesus making this claim? He's in Jerusalem at the temple on a big feast day, which means there are crowds all around. Many say that Jesus is a good man, but he's not the God man. Well, what did Jesus claim? He claimed that he was God. What did the people hear Jesus claim? <laughs> that he was God. He knows he's going to be executed for this. So Jesus, in the face of adversity, facing his own execution, he couldn't be more clear. And the reason they are seeking to put him to death is because in the Old Testament, in Leviticus 24, 16, it says this, anyone who blasphemes the name of the Lord is to be put to death. The entire assembly must stone him. So in our day, we get to say any crazy old thing we want to, right? But in their day, if you said, I'm God, they said, well, guess what? There are no repeat offenders. You're done. We kill you. People were so afraid of blaspheming the name of God that they didn't even want to use the name of the God, much less say that their name was God. So the rule was, if you say you're God, everyone gets to pick up a stone and murder you by throwing it at you publicly, shamefully, and Jesus knew this. Here's the question. Did Jesus say he was God, yes or no? Yes. Now you need to answer this question for yourself. Do you believe what Jesus said? Here at Benton Heights, we believe what Jesus said. So then the story continues. Jesus answered them. Is it not written in your law, and here's where he quotes Psalm 82, verse 6, I have said that you are God's? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be set aside. What about the one whom the father has set apart as his very own? He's talking about himself and sent into the world. Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy? Because I said, I am God's son. You see, by the way, that's where opposition comes in as non-Christians to say, Jesus is not the son of God. Well, Jesus said, that's exactly who I am. Verse 37, do not believe me unless I do the works of my Father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, I am in the Father. He's reemphasizing, he's not recanting his claim. And so again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. So a couple of things here. First of all, Scripture cannot be set aside. Jesus says that. And you know what? In our 
day and time, there are contracts in our world that are constantly, unfortunately, set aside and broken. There are vows made in our world that are set aside and broken. There are promises made in our world that are set aside and broken, but the word of God cannot be set aside. What God promises comes to pass. What God brings as a prophecy, that prophecy comes to reality. Every word of God proves true. So Jesus said, all right, let's go back to the Bible. Let's not argue about secondary things. Let's just open the Bible and clear this up. So he quotes Psalm 82, verse 6. And it sounds like this psalm and Jesus are teaching polytheism, many gods. That's not what he nor the psalm is teaching. Psalm 82, in its context, is like a court that's convening. And God sits as judge in the divine council. Surrounding him are the angels. And this word gods that's used in Psalm 82 can mean God, but it can also mean human rulers, kings, judges, leaders. So let's take a look and try to make sense of this. The entire psalm is only eight verses. We're going to see it. Here's how that psalm starts. God presides in the great assembly. So here he is calling the divine council together. He renders judgment among the gods. Here it is in quotes. So again, that gods can mean, in the Old Testament, can mean God himself, that word. Or it can mean the judges and the kings. So it's a flexible word. It's kind of like our word, Lord. Now, automatically, we in the church think ultimately that's Jesus, right? But there are people in other countries who use the word Lord to distinguish a human ruler. They will refer to that person as Lord. How long will you defend the unjust and show partiality to the wicked? Defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. The gods, here it is in quotes again, know nothing. They understand nothing. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. And now here's where he quotes, Jesus quotes in John. I said, you are gods. You are all sons of the most high but you will die like mere mortals. You will fall like every other ruler. So here, God's means the human rulers, political rulers. Last verse, rise up, O God, judge the earth, for all the nations are your inheritance. I believe that what we're looking at here is that God is ruling and reigning, and he has his law, and he gives it to his leaders, and the leaders are supposed to obey God, and using God's will and God's ways and God's word to execute justice before the people. Some of these are political leaders. Some are judicial leaders. Some are spiritual leaders. But the problem is they're not following God's will. These leaders are unjust. They're rebelling against God. They're not obeying God's word. And they choose to do things on their own. And as a result, they're acting like God's. Do people do that? I'm in charge. I'm not under anybody's authority. I'm smart enough. I can figure this all out. And if what I choose 
is contrary to God's word and God's will and God's way, well, then guess what? I'm going my way. And you're acting like a God. So what happened in Psalm 82 is that they were supposed to follow God. They were supposed to be under God. They were supposed to bring God's will and God's way to the people. But instead, they rebelled. They were showing partiality to the wicked. And what happened to the weak and the vulnerable? (laughs) No justice for them. What he's saying is, I gave my word, I gave leaders, and those leaders are to bring justice and liberation and love to the people, but as a result of being rebellious, injustice came instead. So here's the cry of Psalm 82. Hey, God, our political system is corrupt. Our spiritual system is a broken community. Our legal system is corrupt. All these people are supposed to be following you, Lord. They're supposed to be serving you, God. They're not. They're doing their own thing. They're acting like they're God. So, God, we need you. Please come. We can't do this. We need you to show up and be the real God. Well, in John's gospel, Jesus shows up to fulfill Psalm 82. The last line of Psalm 82 was, rise up, O God. He did. Jesus got off the throne. And what happens is he is there to judge these rulers. And these rulers are there to judge him. But Jesus is the one who brings full justice. And they understood what he was saying to them. They understood that Jesus was using Psalm 82 against them. That he was saying, you're just like this group in Psalm 82. You don't bring justice. You don't obey the word of God. You don't bring the will of God. You're not walking in the word of God and the ways of God. You're not my sheep. You're not worshiping me. And Jesus is judging them. He's judging the judges. Jesus said he was God. And they say, no, you're not. He says, yes, I am. And I'm here to judge you. Just so you know, that conversation did not reduce the conflict. (laughs) Jesus knows this will end in his execution. But he doesn't relent. He doesn't recant. He doesn't repent of saying that he's God. Friends, did Jesus say that he was God? Yes. Did he say he was the only God? Yes. And then the result and the response in John chapter 10. Then Jesus went back across the Jordan, across the river, to the place where John the Baptist had been baptizing in the early days. There Jesus stayed. And many people came to him and they said, though John never performed a sign, all that John said about this man, all they said about Jesus was true. And in that place, Many believed in Jesus. Do you believe that Jesus is your God? This is where you need to make a decision. Most of you are already Christians. You made that decision to believe, but you have to make that decision every day. It's kind of like marriage. Lori and I made a decision to get married 38 years ago. But we have to constantly make a decision to continue into that relationship every day. 
You make a decision to walk with Jesus, but you've got to make a decision every day to keep walking with Jesus. Isn't it wonderful that in our world that is so filled with speculation and uncertainty, and you're like, I don't know what religion, what philosophy, what opinion. I don't know who to follow. I don't know who to listen to. I don't know who to trust. God says, let me make this real simple for you. You're a sinner. I'm the Savior. You need me. I love you. Let's do life together. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.